welcome to this special bonus episode of Republic Forces Radio Network, bringing you coverage of Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 6. Our hosts will be recapping and reviewing each arc of these Netflix-exclusive final Clone Wars episodes. And we want to hear your thoughts on the last Clone Wars episodes. Leave a message on our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI, and your call may be played on the air. Hello, and welcome back to Republic Forces Radio Network. We're here to discuss the surprise Season 6 of the Clone Wars animated series. And joining me in this discussion tonight is a whole host of characters, starting with your friend and mine, Jerry. Hey guys, glad to be back for the last hurrah. Nathan P. Butler. Hey everybody, we're back, and how could we not be, right? Because good podcasters follow orders, good podcasters follow orders, good podcasters follow mother. (laughs) Barrett. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. Yes, very excited. You know, it always feels like we got the band back together. We've done what everybody always wants to do. It's good to be back. And it does feel we're on a mission from God. (laughs) And last but certainly not least, our resident clone expert, Jen. Oh, good to be back. And so for a clone arc, too? Oh, this is awesome. When we ended our coverage of the Clone Wars movie, we were... Unsure whether we were going to get season six, and I myself was kind of thinking we wouldn't see it in short order. So imagine my surprise when they announced that it was going to be on Netflix. I was pleased, but a little shocked. What about you guys? How did you react to it? You know, I was, number one, very happy because I'm a regular subscriber to Netflix and stream a lot of things. And it's really how I watch a lot of television. I haven't had cable in, you know, about a year and a half. So it was perfect for me because it was already there. I mean, unlike you, Jonathan, I thought we would see it eventually. I just didn't know how. And with some of the Disney dealings through Marvel with Netflix, this didn't shock me. What surprised me a little was is that we learned of it and then, hey, it's going to come in two weeks. It's like, oh, well, that's just kind of sudden and out of nowhere. But thank you. Yeah, I think it was the abruptness uh, that was really the shock for this one. To have it on Netflix, I mean, they were going to have to find somewhere to put it. It seemed like either a home video release or something that was an on-demand service was likely to be the case. Anyway, there was a point where they were talking about the possibility of some kind of Disney app on uh, Apple TV or something like that, or maybe an exclusive iTunes release like they did with the Night Sisters uh, film when they took those three episodes and merged them together into the film. So to have it on Netflix turns out to be pretty good. It's a nice big subscriber base out there for it. I was already a subscriber as Jerry was, though I was considering dumping it at the time, so I wound up keeping it. But yeah, the fact that we basically had the titles and the descriptions already out based on Insider, I mean, it was already about to premiere on German television, When we were told, oh, by the way, it's coming on March 7th through Netflix, and you get them all in one dump. So if you were watching in Germany, you got a handful of episodes each week for a few weeks, but then the U.S., thanks to Netflix, got the dump of all the episodes, so we wound up seeing the very last of the story. I think it was within 24 hours of everything finally ending with the last couple of episodes in Germany. It was a very odd way to handle the release of something that should have had a lot of fanfare, and yet... Seems to just sort of been a, I don't want to say a dump of the episodes, but pretty close to it. StarWars.com didn't really seem to hype it up until right as it was coming out. You know, when I heard it was coming out on Netflix, I was kind of like, yeah, I was kind of excited. What an interesting way 
to bring something out. Netflix has done it before, you know, with the rest of development. They famously bought the rights and produced another season and released the whole season. And it kind of revolutionized how people were going to watch television. You know, they did not have to wait week to week. They got everything. And for them to do that with the Clone Wars and who made that deal, you know, somebody needs to get the credit for that. I think that's revolutionary. We all got what we wanted. You had very little complaints that kind of really shut a lot of people up who would normally, I would say, be trolls and stuff on on social media and complain about whatever they have to complain about because they got everything they wanted all at once. And Netflix is able to do that. But I agree with you, Nathan. The problem is with Netflix right now is that they don't know how to advertise. They can only really advertise to people who already have subscribed to their service. For people that are new to their service, how are they going to advertise that they have this content that's exclusive to their members? And they just haven't figured out a way how to do that yet. And once they do, it's going to really put a lot of television watching, as we know, to the wall, and they're going to have to find a way to to counter that. I just thought it was ironic because about a week and a half before we found out about this, we had canceled our Netflix subscription. <laughs> so we're like, oh, crap. So it was you. Kid. It was us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you'd <laughs> so done that six months ago, we would have gotten it six months sooner. Come on. <laughs> so we ended up going back. to They got us back. So And it was worth it. So. <laughs> now, I think the reason that they ended up going with Netflix is because there is – a licensing argument. Now I'm not gonna, I can't really go into how I know this. Warner Brothers has, was kind of upset about Disney's purchase of Star Wars and then ending Clone Wars. I know that Warner Brothers home video department especially was really, really frustrated with it. And it's one of the reasons that they pushed out the complete Clone Wars series without even thinking about including this. I was extremely excited to hear that it was on Netflix as well as you guys because I am a Netflix subscriber and I thought it was a great way. I was surprised that they didn't advertise it like you guys, but I was also surprised that they didn't drag out the episodes a little bit. Why they didn't just maybe release them by arc or even release them individually one per week. I think that they could have gotten more mileage, but as you said, they're not advertising it anyway. Isn't that the Netflix model? Like with House of Cards, it's all the whole season at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I would totally expect them to do it this way so people could get that binge watching of all six seasons. I'm sure most people jump to season six, of course, since they hadn't seen it. But my son and I went ahead and we started season one. And had it not been for Netflix, truth be known, we would never have done that. I've never once pulled those Blu-rays out. But since they're sitting there right there in Netflix and I can just lazily grab the remote and pull them up and jump around, do whatever I want. It's uh, it's great. And Nathan, I'm going to ask you, because you're probably the most familiar with this. They've put it in the same letterbox format, the, the different format that they have on the Blu-rays rather than the TV versions that we had gotten, correct? That's right. What you'll find is that not only are they in the theatrical widescreen aspect ratio very much like the Blu-rays and such, it's also the Blu-ray cuts of the episodes, which means, for instance, and for anyone who wants to check this out, check out my YouTube channel uh, from the Star Wars Home Video Library is the name of the series. I recently did a series of videos that looked at every single altered cut 
out of all the seasons of Clone Wars. But basically, the director's cuts from season one and all those little extended cuts where usually it was something like an impalement or a beheading they couldn't show on Cartoon Network winds up in those theatrical widescreen cuts as well. The only downside to the way Netflix put them up is they did put them up in airing order, which is pretty much the same as the season sets, though we know not chronological order, with one exception. Season 5 and the complete seasons 1 through 5 set put Revival from season 5 back in its correct place uh, in front of the other three Maul and Savage episodes, but Netflix has it back at the beginning of the season where they had bumped it up uh, with the Darth Maul hype. But beyond that, it's still a better presentation, I would say, than, you know, uh, what we got with, say, iTunes, where they were not the director's cuts episodes, and they had the different aspect ratio that doesn't quite show the far sides. So, for this series, we're going to be, instead of reviewing each individual episode, we're going to be reviewing the arcs. And the first arc, which has come to be known as the Order 66 arc, consists of the first four episodes of Season 6. The Unknown, Conspiracy, Fugitive, and Orders, written by our old friend Katie Lucas. Now, I was excited to see that she had written this arc, which has such a major impact on the whole Clone Wars mythos. What about you guys? Were you excited to see her back? I went in with next to no spoilers, so until I saw the end credits for the first episode, I didn't even know she was involved. I didn't want to know anything going into this. Yeah, I'm like Jen. I I actually didn't realize it until my second viewing. I watched all these all the episodes twice to prepare for this uh, for this recording because I I really don't pay attention to the credits too much anyway. And it wasn't until the second showing I actually caught her name and. Hadn't seen it since I didn't, you know, since realizing that. So there's there's nothing about that that was really significant to me. I will, in retrospect, say that you know I, I felt like it had a really good understanding of sort of the the clone mentality and just to, to me and you guys, you know, recall I've used this phrase a lot over the years on Republic Forces that it felt very Star Wars to me, and I really dug that about this uh, arc. So. You know, my hat's off to Katie Lucas for, I mean, of course, I guess it's in her blood, but I mean, it, uh, to me, she really got writing for Star Wars, and it was very evident in this arc. Yeah, I've been pretty impressed by the way Katie Lucas has handled writing for the Clone Wars in the past. I mean, barring her one instance on the Blu-ray sets and such of basically taking credit for creating the Night Sisters and Dathomir when Wolverton did back in 94, she's handled herself very, very well, better than quite a few of the other writers on this show. But it's another thing that I really wasn't paying attention to until seeing the credits. I did catch it on the first time around, but only because I happened to bother to check out the credits because I was looking for character names in the credits, to be honest with you. It's all Clone Wars, unless something is really stand out and crazy, like, say, the Yoda arc in this stuff. I usually don't pay that much attention to the writer. See, I picked up on it ahead of time because I got the uh, Star Wars Insider magazine where they listed all the upcoming episodes and they had her listed for the first four. But this this arc, I think it was a pretty strong start to season six. I really enjoyed the fact that it was a clone arc, some of the visuals that they used, and the impact that it has on the movies, especially Revenge of the Sith, I thought was just great. What did you guys think of the content of the arc? Jen, as our clone lover, why don't you go first? Well, I was sold immediately as soon as I knew it was a clone arc. And, and Order 66 related clone arc, I was sold. I was kind of of two minds once I saw the episodes. Like, I, I liked a lot of it, and some of it was kind of frustrating. But overall, I thought it was really 
pretty good stuff. Like I like to get to see the Domino last remaining, no longer Domino squad member. And I don't particularly like it when any of the clones die. So I was a little frustrated with that, but it's, it was necessary for the story. So uh, overall, I thought this was pretty good stuff. There was some frustration with the way the cover up was handled, which we'll get into probably when we get into the latter half of the, the arc. But as far as the clone material, I thought it was actually really good. You see, uh, Jen, I, I like the phrase you just use of like of being of two minds. I was the same way. I mean, on one side, it really didn't progress anything about Order 66. How could it really? We see Order 66 play out in Revenge of the Sith. I wish we had gotten a little bit more. Oh, I don't even know how to phrase it because, you know, since we really didn't learn anything more about it than we did before, other than the fact that it is some, you know, what they called a chip that I suppose is either have the the programming built into it that or, uh, you know, either of Order 66 is locked within it or it's the one thing hindering Order 66 until they're ready to give it the go. You know, we, we didn't get an answer to that question. And maybe if I missed some lines, maybe you guys could educate me. But I all I felt like was like, OK, great. We learned there's a chip, but it didn't really I don't really know what the chip, quote unquote, did. But at the same time. I enjoyed the fact that they went into that a little bit. The only problem with it for me was I felt like it's like, okay, you Jedi are completely moronic now because you have these all these hints and clues of this conspiracy going around of these people messing around with the clones. And you just saw one spill its guts around like, oh, it's my <laughs> order to kill Jedi. Yeah, oh, okay. They... It must have just been a parasite. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Exactly. What they're talking about... With Order 66, you're absolutely right. It does not extend what we know about Order 66. What they do is they call it Protocol 66. I mean, you're pretty close, Jerry. They do say that it's an inhibitor chip, and it's inhibiting aggression that Jango Fett had. That's how they explain it, how the Kaminoans explain it. That's Nala Say? She explains it. Yeah, but you didn't believe a word coming out of her mouth, did you? Uh, well, no, we didn't. We didn't. Hear, I, you know, and she's evil now. You know, I never got that that she was evil in episode two or that any of the uh, of her species was really evil. I kind of got them as more business like, but they're kind of depicted as real evil. They're in on it now. They know exactly what Order 66 is. And what they did was they explained it in a way where I was able to accept why they the clones would turn on the Jedi up to this point. I think it was kind of agreed upon that it's some, some sort of hypnotism or brainwashing. And it's actually a physical chip that was implanted in them that they cannot resist. You know, they have to do it. And for me, that explains a lot for me in, in Order 66. And some of the, the Karen Travis stories we got were how the clones disobeyed that order. You know, this kind of opens that whole thing wide up. You know, how were they able to go against the programming of the inhibitor chip. And uh, it opens up a lot of questions. So they never really explain also why the inhibitor chip malfunctioned. You know, I think uh, Tup, or excuse me, Five says when they ask him about it, he says it doesn't matter. So there's a lot of questions that they leave open, which is great. I, I love that. Is the chip sort of like the midi-chlorians, though, for Jedi to where it's like, oh, there's a, there's a device or an actual organism? I kind of like the concept of, Oh, hey, the Chancellor's telling us we gotta kill the Jedi now, and he's the High Supreme Commander of the Republic Army. I guess I'm just gonna go kill him now, because that's my order. Now, now it's almost like it's, they don't have a choice. But do the inhibitor chips have a home world, like the midichlorians do? Now? <laughs> uh, Kamino? 
<laughs> okay, but here's my question about the inhibitor chip. I mean, I liked the I liked the arc, but I have questions like you guys. I know that we've heard previously, and I I think it was even Lucas that may have said this at some point. I, I tried looking up the reference, but I couldn't find it prior to this recording. That the the clones weren't programmed that way. I I know that he said this somewhere that it was in order because they were trained to obey the you know supreme chain of command that when they got it they got the order 66 through a certain channel that they they did it also it kind of brings up if all these clones had an inhibitor chip that was switched off or switched on which i don't necessarily buy that it was an inhibitor chip because fives when it was removed didn't start gunning for anakin immediately why in revenge of the sith when this was order 66 was triggered didn't the 501st gun down Anakin? Because he still, in their minds, was a Jedi at that point, wasn't he? Maybe it had some sort of like classification system involved in this chip that you know categorized between Jedi and Sith. I don't know. I was asking those questions the same same as you when I was watching this episode. It's like, how does this work exactly? And the fact that it's a biological thing, I kept thinking, myself, it's not a tumor. That's all that kept going through my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, it... It's, it's apparently some sort of programming in a fleshy nodule that they've lodged in there. So I, I had a hard time reconciling that. I get that the cloners are really great at manipulating, you know, genomes and stuff like that. But the idea that they have this effectively like a tumor-like thing lodged in their brain that's inhibiting, it was very strange. And, and on the one hand, I do think that it makes sense that it had to be something outside them just because I wouldn't be able to buy it that... Like, say, Commander Cody. I always had a kind of a hard time with that in Revenge of the Sith when Commander Cody has been working with Obi-Wan for presumably three years and they've been through all this stuff and, you know, he saved his, his behind millions of times and, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you gotta kill him. Okay. Like, I always kind of had a hard time with that. So the idea that it's not entirely willful on their part. I can be okay with. I don't know if I care for this particular mechanism. Well, this has been one of these things that has been sort of an open question for a long time. I mean, I like this arc in particular. I think it, it deals with some dark stuff in a lot of ways that I wouldn't have expected them to deal with on essentially a kid's show. And one can make the argument they need programming so that the heroes of the kids are not going to wind up being essentially the Gestapo going and killing people. But it's always been sort of an up-in-the-air thing, whether this was something that was entirely just orders entirely programming is it a combination of the two are there orders to essentially or, or programming to make them more compliant to orders but if you pull together pieces of this episode attack of the clones and previously existing comments it's made i think we get a a, a decent idea of what we have uh, i mean order 66 has been has been detailed at least uh, outside of the Clone Wars itself, as a, in the event of Jedi officers acting against the interest of the Republic and after receiving specific orders verified as coming directly from the Supreme Chancellor or the Supreme Commander, GAR commanders will remove those officers by lethal force, and command of the GAR will revert to the Supreme Commander slash Chancellor until a new command structure is established. Um, the EU has gone to links to try to give us the idea, as you guys were referencing there with Karen Travis's stuff, this idea that it is something that is given at least somewhat of a choice because it is an order. Going back to the idea of, you know, Nazis saying they were just following orders, at what point do you say an, an order is essentially illegal or immoral? This doesn't really mess with the idea of what we see in those, because this goes back to the thing, and they even referenced this in the episode guide on StarWars.com, that in talking about this inhibitor chip, that it's supposed to make them less aggressive than Jango Fett, 
and the way that uh, Fives refers to it at the end of this arc as essentially something allowing them to, someone, to give them orders they must follow. That essentially what we have, maybe it's subliminal orders, whatever, is the idea that a regular clone gets one of these. They get it at, at stage three in their development as an embryo. And these, when they malfunction, can essentially cause maybe subliminal orders to come to the surface faster or, or cause them to, to misinterpret orders, whatever. But the characters in, except for Core, I would say, the characters within the Karen Travis books have always been assumed to be Republic Commandos. And Republic Commandos were always said to have less of their genome altered to make them more compliant. So they do have more individuality, do have more control over their own actions than the other clones, the run-of-the-mill clones would, which is why it was a big deal when we wound up seeing Fives promoted to be an ARC trooper as opposed to being an ARC trooper that sort of has even more independence than a Republic Commando, the way that that was all laid out. But what we get is, you know, it's echoing attack of the clones. They are designed to remove some of their in, their uh, uh, individuality to make them more compliant. What I saw with this essentially is the idea that it gives us a way of saying, look, some of them may be able to resist but it, it takes a strong, independent will to be able to resist anything that is battering down your individuality, that is trying to force you into this compliance. They are not computers. They are biological. Whatever programming they do, there is, there's got to be some measure of, of independent development, both biologically and psychologically, for these characters. So for me, I mean, it, it makes it so that it makes a lot more sense, as Jim was saying, for people like Cody to wind up Gunning down the Jedi, just flipping, you know, execute order 66. Oh, time to kill. That was a faster change of perception and change of loyalty in the clones than Anakin falling to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith. And I'm not sure that was possible outside of the clone example. But what it does in that sense is it gives them cover to say that this was something they were programmed to do. And yet it allows the for some of these characters to be able to break it, whether it's from having more independence because of the way they were engineered, like the Republic Commandos, or they've developed more individuality or perhaps theirs have malfunctioned in a different way. The fact that we got any kind of answer at all, though, to Order 66 beyond sort of this nebulous, well, we're not quite sure what it is, to have them flat out say there's a biological sort of programming or inhibition component to this and not only say that, but tie it into Attack of the Clones and basically say, this is something we've explained before. We just didn't do it in detail because we thought you'd catch it kind of thing. That to me makes me at least feel like this was in a plan to begin with. So it makes this arc that could have been very jarring to continuity something that to me was exciting to see. Um, I know there are going to be continuity-minded folks out there who disagree with me on this, but to, to me this was, was something that added to the mythos rather than jarring it or subtracting anything. It was a great arc. And Nathan, I think you're right in the fact that it doesn't, in my mind, mess with continuity for the simple re or it doesn't mess with continuity as much because for the simple reason they don't give us exactly what it is or what it does, what this chip is or does. Because they, they, they hint at it, they kind of go around it, they talk about several different things, it could be anything. It doesn't give us all the answers and thereby doesn't crush continuity. But what it did give us, what it, it gave us was what the chip causes the clones and how brilliant of Katie Lucas to tell this story in a way where we know fives, you know, we've been with fives from the start, you know, we know Tup and they have survived a lot of these battles where a lot of their comrades have died and we want him to survive. We want them to find out, you know, we want them to find out just as much as we want to find out what the reason 
these chips do or what exactly they do. Well, why don't we dive in to look at some of the content of these episodes? We start on a battle on the world of Ringo Vinda. I'm sorry, the visual of that space station circling an entire world, I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought this sort of like siege, I, I was very much reminded of the historical battle of Leningrad, where they're kind of almost fighting room to room. What did you guys think of how that looked? I thought it was pretty cool looking. I mean, at the same time, though, again, this isn't something entirely new to Star Wars. We have the shipyards of Dak slash Mon Calamari that's been a, a similar form uh, for many, many years. But it definitely, you know, the tactics seem like they were much more, as you were saying, sort of the, the room-to-room type of tactics. You know, when they split up, they still converge on another room. It's just, let's split up, let's get down this hallway and make it to the end, then we'll come back together, finally. The scope of this battle seemed like it was a lot bigger. And, of course, we're introduced to Tiplar and Tip Lee, two new Jedi Masters, who were actually based on concept art, yet another instance of basing on concept art, in this case for female Sith uh, in Attack of the Clones at one point. So a lot of new things happening to us at once, and it makes for a cool, chaotic atmosphere, because to me, that only enhances what happens with Tup. You know, for Tup to wind up uh, having his, his headache-slash-snapping moment, and we, if the inhibitor chips are supposed to make them follow orders, we know what a malfunctioning one does. I'm not sure if we've, if beyond Order 66, we know what a fully functioning one does. To, to have him essentially come up in the midst of that chaos and shoot her, it, there's this measure of, you know, kind of the fog of war. That gets added as a layer on top of everything. You know, we're used to the idea of friendly fire amid the fog of war. And yet here, from the very moment he starts babbling, you have that sense that obviously this is something different. Even those around him know this is something different. So it's great. It captures that, the chaos of war, but at the same time, doesn't let that chaos be an excuse for what Tup does, which would have been really easy to do. And in this battle, we have another old friend revisited, Admiral Trench. I was surprised, but pleased to see him back, because I kind of liked him way back in Cat and Mouse. Looks like he's had some medical issues, though. Yeah, what what happened to him in Cat and Mouse? I didn't have time to go back. Did 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 he end up on, did his ship get, like, half blown up or something? Because, like, his, you know, the left side of him is mostly mechanical now. Which yeah, I you, you remember is- that it was a whole thing where he fired off the torpedoes and Anakin lured them back to, to slam into the ship. That whole thing. With a cloaked ship and everything. Yeah, I thought it was whole blowed up, not half. <laughs> like, I was surprised well, to see him again. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my thing, Jen. That's exactly where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I thought he was done. Maybe they had a clone version of him somewhere that they could pull out. Uh, certainly, Wolf <laughs> Ularin, when he shows up for his brief bit in these episodes, looks completely different than any Wolf Ularin we've ever seen. Um, well, about 20 so, years older, yeah, but we'll get back. We'll come back to him. Yeah, but no, Trench, it... It makes sense. I mean, it's it's the classic thing. We talked about this back every episode that we ran into, those one-and-done bad guys, um, but that they oftentimes, they would either be blown up off-screen, and they would just never return again, or we were just kind of crossing our fingers that maybe, maybe that meant that there was a loophole they could come back to. And here's Trench finally making use of a loophole. He comes from what is literally the earliest chronological episode in this entire series back again in Season 6. Hey, there was no body back in Cat and Mouse, he's not dead. Squish it! Squish it! <laughs> From a design standpoint, though, I thought he looked really cool. Like, I really liked the design of, like, the lines, like, the glowing lines that ran all up and down his, like, mechanical parts. Like, it just looked really neat. The uh, the one thing that jumped out to me about him, though, was his Darth Vader voice. And I don't know if he 
sounded like that in the first one or if we're supposed to think he's a little bit more he's more machine now than spider but he you know had that the you, you know you didn't quite uh, obviously have the uh the the breathing going on in the background but he had it, it's like chad vader did his voice and then we got that see to it personally commander and i was like dang that's that was like dead on from the you know the tantivy line from new hope there'll be no one to stomp us this time hmm. said the bug so after top you know, has his little breaking moment, which I thought was the way the way it was framed and the way it was done. I thought worked really well. Instead of just have, having him gun down Tiplar to have that kind of reverse angle where you see his eyes as he's pulling the trigger, I thought was just really effective. But have we ever seen related Jedi before? Because that actually was a little jarring to me. I don't recall it in the show. I mean, in the EU, plenty of times, but in the show, I don't recall any. Trench reports to Dooku, who then reports to Sidious, who feel that because of this malfunctioning clone, their plan of Order 66 may be compromised. So Trench is ordered to capture Tup, and they do this as Tup is being sent to Kamino for evaluation. Now, I thought this was a pretty cool sequence when they assault the shuttle, but again, one of those things that just kind of took me out of it, they breached the shuttle, right? And Tup was not protected by any type of shield. He was just on a gurney. Why didn't he explode? Well, you know, one of the episodes that my son and I watched when we finished season six, we went back to that early malevolence episode where Plo Koon and clones are just crawling on the outside of their ship with nothing more than just their little face masks and their normal helmets. Yeah, whatever, logic in a cartoon, I get it. Maybe different parts of the universe were vacuum of space versus whatever, whatever, whatever. But I I think it was just convenience. I mean, he's strapped down, he's got a face mask on, so it's close enough. Okay. Well, we do see a new... T- <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just accepting that? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just playing the apologist here. Now, come on, you know, it, it I, is funky. In, in an episode <laughs> where they do call out certain things later, when uh, Rex, Fives, and Anakin are getting onto the Separatist shuttle, and they and they call it out that you know we, we're experiencing some drag in the vacuum of space. <laughs> really? I, that they that. They, they go back and they mess with this. I, I just... That's like them making fun of themselves, really. It's like, yeah, we know we don't get this right all the time. So before before you people write on our blog about how stupid that was, we're just going to call it out first. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to that scene, though, where they breach the the ship, though? Because I felt like that was one of the most like haunting scenes when they finally get Anakin and um, the two clones to come and kind of tr- attempt to rescue Tup. That was really profound for me because I feel like I was, I'm always thinking of things from the clone's point of view. And I'm picturing Rex opening the hatch to this destroyed ship and seeing basically what amounts to himself, like his face on all of these corpses and how absolutely freaky that must be and like how horrifying that must be. Like I w- I'm really surprised that they aired that. Like that's a much kind of darker level than we've seen on anything that aired in, in on Cartoon Network the beauty of netflix perhaps uh but but yeah no i thought that was that was pretty cool and i'll be honest with you i really like the sequence of you know i don't know if we've seen this design but that that like modified super battle droid looking like creature that you know those droids that that actually went into the ship i i thought you know some of the the new technology if you want to call that or the new separatist droid designs to to go in and do that kind of mission was pretty cool as well yeah the new super rocket 
they call them the new super rocket droid designs. We saw them in, I think it was Jedi Crash, but then they updated them for this. And I, I would, from the apologist standpoint, I would say, I think what we're supposed to believe is that there is some kind of feel, like a, uh, uh, the kind of thing you see on docking bays when they do manage to, to open up the ships. I think they're opening up from one of the actual cargo access points. I just went back and tried to, to flip through the episode real quick as you guys were talking. I think it is supposed to be something where that is still holding in some of the atmosphere, because we also have clones who manage to fight back, uh, at least one of them that doesn't have his helmet or anything like that on either. They, they don't make a, an issue out of it. You know, my only thought about that whole sequence was is it was sort of like the first episode of this arc had the Republic take Tup. They got intercepted by the Separatists. The Separatists took Tup. Anakin and two clones intercepted their ship and grabbed Tup back, and now they're basically doing exactly what they were at the beginning of that whole scenario, taking Tup to Kamino. So it was cool action. It was a neat back and forth and look at the technologies and sort of how, you know, it's Fives who was like, oh, come on, I got this. He just puts the grappling gun and even Anakin's like, hey, good idea. I like the whole scenario where they're even just looking over the ledge there and they see a hundred battle droids and Rex is like, well, sir, I don't, I don't doubt you could do it, but I'm not sure if Fives and I would uh, survive to see it. <laughs> you know, it's a cool back and forth and banter, but it's like, if I really think about that, the back half of that first episode, it really didn't accomplish much. They ended up exactly where they were with the Republic taking Tup to Camino. You know, we had that clone in the deserter called Cut Laquane. I believe it's Tup McGuffin. No, seriously, he becomes the object of pursuit in this as opposed to being considered like a regular character. He becomes more of a character later. Uh, than he is in this episode. In this episode, he's essentially a malfunctioning piece of hardware, and they're chasing back and forth to get their hands on this malfunctioning hardware. He only really gets much um, humanity uh, whenever we see how Fives reacts to him throughout the rest of the arc. Now, malfunctioning hardware, Nathan. He malfunctions. We don't know why. He mentions dreams. You know, that's kind of the only clue why his inhibitor chip malfunctions is dreams, you know, and they all have it. And up to this point, and I think the, he calls it the mission, the mission. And up to this point, we didn't know that, that all the clones are having these nightmares, apparently. And it's a it's common knowledge to the clones, which gives us another insight to them uh, being individuals and not hardware. So why does he die? Why does Tup die when they, when they take his in inhibitor chip out? Do they ever explain that? They don't, but I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I did not catch on my first viewing. And I'm curious to see if the rest of you caught that, that they're dreams, that they're talking about dreams. Tup says it to Fives. Fives says it at the right before he dies that at least the dreams are over. Did you guys catch that there was some, there, there was a, like, there was a subtext and it wasn't it brought to the forefront? It, it's as if the inhibitor chip was blocking out that order but subconsciously they could still have access to it they're like there's a certain part of their brain function that would allow them to see it but not the conscious what i didn't quite get with all that and i did get the whole dreams thing that's kind of why i was asking the the inhibitor chip question up front it's like well was it holding back order 66 or was it going to trigger order six? you know whatever but the thing that to me was weird about that exact scene is like Fives, when he's dying, says, oh, the dreams are gone. You, you've you been awake this entire time after you got shot. What do you mean the dreams are gone? You're not asleep yet. Now, I know he's going to die and be asleep forever, but he's not responding to that yet because he's still briefly alive. So it felt a little forced because I didn't think Fives would have that epiphany like Tup did because Tup spent quite a bit of time, obviously, with, you know, with that malfunctioned. But it was kind of weird. 
And I remember when we were talking about the difference between the way the two react, I mean, they don't explicitly necessarily have to say why it is that Tup's reaction is somewhat different than Phi's, because it's built into the episode. The inhibitor chip within Tup is in and of itself somehow degraded. I mean, they even show biologically it has started to break down somehow. Uh, it's kind of like a cancerous cell. It's not working the way that it is supposed to. So any difference between the two of them, uh, including why Tup would die by having it removed but not Fives, would seem to be able to be, you know, just pulled back to that whole idea. Well, for Tup, it was more like a cancer. And, you know, for Fives, it was healthy tissue just being removed in a, a healthy fashion. That or the fact that Fives somehow stays alive because Nala say drugs him up in the back of the ship so he can go, you know, crazy without the inhibitor thing later on. Before, I don't want to gloss over it, but when we get back to Camino and they're doing the tests on Tup and Fives, we learn something pretty major. And Baron talked about this earlier. The Kaminoans know about Order 66. They're not the businessmen and simple subcontractors that I had taken them for in Episode 2 and then whenever we saw them in the Clone Wars. They're complicit. This was a bit of a shock to me. I was going to say, I disagree. I feel like they acknowledge that in the episode where where the the two Kaminoans go and talk to Dooku. And he's got his whole, you know, Sithy hood on and everything. And they make an offhand comment of, like, how weird the Jedi are. And so I don't know if I agree that they're evil, per se. I think they're just, this is the contract, and they are going to hold to it. And I think, you know, they were concerned because they didn't want to have some sort of violation of their contract. This is the person who gives them orders, and they kind of follow them. They seem kind of bloodless and passionless and very driven by, you know, what they've been told to do. So I don't know if I agree. It seems like they're in on it, but they're on something different. Like, I don't think they're in on Darth Sidious's plot. They, st- I think they're still talking, at least the way I interpret it, is they're still talking to Dooku like he's sifo buddy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they get the whole Sith portion of it. Now, I didn't say it was necessarily Sith, but they do know that their clones are programmed to assassinate Jedi. Yet, they're doing it for the Jedi, and they want to keep the Jedi from knowing it. They give a reason in the episode for why that's the case. They say, first off, the reason why they're putting it in there is because sifo the guy that created the contract, gave it to them and required that it be in there. So they're believing a Jedi provided this. And Dooku himself says, as... Tyrannus, who they think is a Jedi, that this is something that only them and Sifo-Dyas were supposed to know because it is in there specifically to deal with renegade or rogue Jedi. Of course there's a protocol uh, for taking out the Jedi because as far as they're concerned, it's not about taking out all the Jedi. It's if a Jedi goes bad, we need to be able to turn this on and let the, or whatever, use the subconscious, the whatever, and have them take out that rebellious Jedi. And in a sense, that's exactly what happens in Revenge of the Sith, because that's what everything is couched in. The Jedi are rising up and trying to assassinate the Chancellor, therefore they are all rebellious, therefore Order 66 kicks in. They Even upon seeing Order 66 executed, the Kaminoans would still say, this is exactly what we expected it to be, because... It was the way that it was presented by Sifo-Dyas and later Tyrannus. Nathan, wasn't there also another, like, uh, maybe it was a joke that we've made up as, as fans, but wasn't there some joke? It's like, well, hey, the Jedi should have never taken it without reading the instruction book. Like, there's all kinds of orders. Isn't there a, an Order 67 or something about, like, assassinating the, uh, the Chancellor? I mean, isn't there a slew of these that have been uh, captured in C-level canon over the years? That's in a Karen Travis novel. That's in one yeah. of the Karen Travis novels. Oh, yeah. Uh, C-level. Yeah. I mean, it's 
it may not be acknowledged in the continuity that's being presented here, but it's it's a concept. Yeah, these are all part of, I mean, in in the sea canon stuff. Um, that's been developed, the books and comics and that sort of thing. Um, and who knows how much they're actually going to pay attention to that now in dealing with the series, especially going ahead with everything that's going on with Marvel and Delray only having one novel left and all that kind of stuff uh, kind of up in the air. Um, but assuming we can take any of that EU stuff at the moment at face value, um, there are 150 different contingency orders. And what Jerry's referring to is Order 65. Uh, in the event of either one, a majority in the Senate declaring the Supreme Chancellor's I keep saying it again. A majority in the Senate declaring the Supreme Commander, Chancellor, to be unfit to issue orders, or two, the Security Council declaring him to be unfit to issue orders, and an authenticated order being received by the GAR, Commander shall be authorized to detain the Supreme Commander with lethal force if necessary, and command of the GAR shall fall to the acting Chancellor until a successor is appointed or alternative authority identified as outlined in Section 6.4. You gotta love the way that the Karen Travis books tended to use in-universe quotes to launch chapters because you wind up with the actual full text of what these different orders are supposed to be, mostly in uh, Republic Commando true colors. So yeah, to them, it's just another order to follow. Otherwise, why would it be 66? You know, it's not like, you know, they're ordered to kill the Jedi. No, they've got all these different orders that are contingencies, including for rebellious Jedi. It just happens to be that's the one that winds up being activated. The Sith are very good at using, you know, the bureaucratic language and legalese to bury their intended goal within all these other things that are much more unlikely to happen. And yet, to the outsider, would seem equally as likely to happen. Another point that is brought up while on Camino is when Dr. Say claims that all the clones are the property of the Kaminoan government. So what, is the Republic <laughs> leasing them? Yeah. Chevy still owns my car, apparently, too, yeah. Well, if it's a if it's a video <laughs> game system, that's true because your Xbox One and your PlayStation Four actually belong to them. You're essentially uh, you're essentially getting a license to use them. But I like the fact that that does come up. She's able to use that supposedly as a way of justifying them being able to simply terminate Tup and say, you know, this was our property. It's like a recall essentially. And yet Shakti saying, no, these are property of the Republic. You sold them to us, which of course you know is just you know hitting that same issue again of these are human beings, and yet. They're effectively property. I mean, it's it's again that sort of, sort of parallel that we see in with slavery and such in real life um, that applies here. That's been such a great thing to see develop over the years. Are they machines? Are they any better than droids? What is the individual value of a clone? And are they effectively property or are they people? Uh, it's another cool way of getting to that in a realistic sort of way. I think that conversation happened very organically within the episode. It didn't feel forced at all. Uh, when again, otherwise it could have. Katie Lucas does a deft job at working in a lot of these issues without it feeling like certain elements are just in there clunkily to make sure it's there. You know, I, it was, speaking of Camino and, and, and the whole medical, you know, everything we see there, I gotta say, I love the droid, the little medical droid. You know, uh, AZ34521896246. 9872134 I don't know it's like pie or something right his it's just everything about him was just really humorous and cute but not so over the top stupid I mean I I like this brand of humor that we got from this character AZ3 was was to me a, a really fun addition to the show He's what Toto 360 really should have been you know Toto 360 kind of had those over the top moments and aside from just the la 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 as they're going through the uh to the genetic uh, uh, records, Paul, it seems as though this is handled in a very sort of deadpan, 
much more, for lack of a better term, realistic sort of way. And even that bit that seems over the top, they immediately deflate with the whole, you know, was that normal for you? Yeah. Jerry, I knew you were going to love this droid because he's a transformer. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I like about him? I mean, I... Because he's got those like C-3PO eyes, but he's very R2-D2-ish with the way his head turns and his arms come out and he could just turn his head and then start working backwards and, you know, his little, it, it seems like he's got 3PO's voice, not Anthony Daniels' uh, you know, candor or anything, but just the fact he speaks basic, but then he's kind of like R2 and just, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like if R2 could speak basic, this is what he'd be like. I love the, I love the point where he's like, well, fives, that's, that's a number. No, not five, fives. And, you know, he's, he's bringing up this, like, logic that you can't argue with. But then, you know, he's got those moment later, he's getting ready to do the surges. Like, yeah, you might want to turn away from this part. And it's just, I, I love, love the, love the guy as a little uh, droid. And yes, he did turn into a jet ski. And they took a very dark arc here and they gave us a character who was essentially inherently innocent in a lot of ways. You know, nothing that he does in going up against the Kaminoans is done in an ill-hearted manner. He's not trying to get at anyone. Even telling Fives that he's about to be mind-wiped and such isn't done in a way to get at the Kaminoans. It's, you know, because he has that camaraderie between he and Fives. I mean, and even the logic of breaking the rules and going about trying to help Tup, uh, even when it's against Nalase's orders. Again, it's Fives uses base, you know, kind of some general logic on him, and he's able to work through, you know, his duty of helping people and goes right along with it. He's a dupe in that sense, and he's the comedy relief in that sense, but he's also the one refreshing point of real innocence that we get in this arc. That that line about the mind wipe was great. I mean, I laughed out loud at that because he's like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have uh, your mind wiped and be reassigned to the sanitation commission, so we'll get to hang out, assuming we remember one another. <laughs> I just thought the whole, the whole bit was funny. It's like, of course you're not going to remember each other. You're having your minds wiped. <laughs> now, before we leave, Camino, one thing that I do think was nice to see is that there is an actual investigation of all of this. It's not as though, you know, what Fives is, is saying is completely dismissed or what Fives is saying is completely taken as, you know, gospel truth, so to speak. We get to see the back and forth between Shakti and Nalase, not necessarily any of them taking Fives' side so much as Shakti at least being willing to be open-minded about it. And we get to see that Fives doesn't just say, okay, this is it. You know, even when he's got the little genetic sample, it's not, this is it, I'm out of here, I'm going back to the Republic, and I have all the answers. He takes the time to go through and say, okay, do I have one in me as well? You know, is there a difference between this and what's in Tup? Okay, if it's in me, is it in all clones? Let's find out if it's in all of us. And if so, where does it get inserted within our our cycle of development? There are so many different things that he does uh, in sort of a more police procedural investigative way than we've usually seen in this show, barring one exception, um, that I think gave it a lot more realism than what we often probably would have seen. Were this, say, a three-episode arc, or were this maybe in seasons one or two, it probably would have been one episode shorter, and he simply takes what he knows initially and just runs. And here we get him digging for answers. Fives uh, doesn't let go, which is another thing that I think makes him more human, because it's one of the things that uh, we as individuals probably would do. We would hunt more answers to be able to prove our case, um, which makes it all the more heartbreaking in the end of the arc, when because of him being injected with whatever Nalase injected into him, um, he's unable to get across coherently all the things that he knows before he winds up being killed. And let's not gloss over. It's not that he dies. He's killed. The story moves to Coruscant, and they land at the Republic medical facility, which 
Fans of Star Wars have seen before. I thought it was kind of interesting to revisit that area. That was pretty interesting, uh, Jonathan, because it's looked exactly like you'd expect it, you know, as we saw it in Revenge of the Sith. So you're just like, oh, wow, that's uh, that's that's where all the Chancellor's pet projects go. Yeah, I think this is where I was like certain that Fives was screwed. Like he was never coming back. Like he's in the chamber with Vader, like like where Vader was made, essentially. And it's just like, oh, He's not coming out of this, is he? Oh, God. <laughs> I must say, you know, this scene is where I started noticing that Filoni and the team have really gotten this lived in look. You know, gone are the times of everything kind of being shiny. Everything's having a texture, whether it be skin texture, clothing texture, metal texture. I mean, everything looks kind of lived in and it's starting to look like the Star Wars that we know, you know, episode four Star Wars. And it looks beautiful. It looks glorious. I gotta say, in the conversations that we get here with Palpatine, both when they finally arrive at the medical facility and before when he's talking about how, you know, well, this is the best place to take him, you know, it's the the state-of-the-art place, bring him here, not to the Jedi Temple and such. I found myself surprised, and it was only, I think, after getting to the end of this arc that I wound up sitting back and realizing that Tim Curry has really sort of fit into the Palpatine role. I remember when I first heard Tim Curry back in season five, particularly with that one little line, I think it was in Revival, that he wound up picking up from Ian Abercrombie that was, I guess, missing within the audio recordings and such, um, that it really felt jarring hearing Tim Curry instead of Abercrombie. And now, I don't know if it's just because we've been away from the series for a little while or what, because it's been about a year, but he is, is fitting in very, very well here as Palpatine slash Sidious. I was impressed with how he filled those very big shoes. You know, you know, Nathan, I have to agree with you. I think the I think what it was was that in the first time he played Palpatine, he played Palpatine. This time he played Sidious. Every time we saw the Grand Chancellor, it was Sidious. And he is not even really trying to hide it really anymore. I mean, he's he's doing the growls and he's not smiling anymore. I mean, I noticed that he's wearing black instead of kind of like the the crimson robe he's usually wears i mean this is sidious and i think that he does a lot better job as sidious and not as chancellor palpatine see i'm with you a little bit baron but i i disagree with you nathan in the sense that i did find a jarring i actually it really jumped out of me when he was doing chancellor palpatine i was like oh yeah that's right that's um and i had to think about it for a second it's like oh that, that that that's right that's tim curry man he's not hitting that at all but then when he was doing Sidious, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It's sort of, yeah, it's sort of like when you got a, um, you know, someone doing Batman, and you get a Kevin Conroy who's like the perfect Bruce Wayne and the perfect Batman. But then you get somebody like Christian Bale who can't do Batman, or pick somebody like um, Val Kilmer who I thought was a, a pretty good Bruce Wayne but a horrible Batman, or you know, pick somebody that you like in the Batman reference. Kevin Conroy nailed it. That's why he's been Batman forever and a day. And, well, I don't know if he continues to be in video games or whatever, but I didn't think Curry got the Chancellor down well at all. You know, Jerry, I'm going to have to agree with you. When I heard Tim Curry speak as either, it was just jarring. And, you know, I missed Ian. And then especially, I know I'm jumping ahead, when in the second arc we hear Ian again and then it goes back to Curry, I just – too much. So, Fives escapes into the Coruscant Night, and uh, we get introduced to the Clone Bar. 
Now, that was something I didn't expect to see, a bunch of drunk clones. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, your mother's a droid. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Your mother's a droid. I love that. And it wasn't just clone troopers, because apparently all the Twi'lek girls who hang out with the troopers all look the same, too. Oh, that probably wasn't intentional. <laughs> like the clones on a Onderon, right? Where everybody looked the same. Nobody will notice we use the same character model over and over and over. It was kind of cool, though, to see them relax. And again, that's another of these things that's separating them very much from the droids. I mean, it's not something you would expect droids to do. And they managed to connect backwards with this. I mean, we've got the fact that they... You know, they made the comment about, what is it, the 212th, which, of course, is Cody's outfit. Uh, he eventually winds up making his way from there to level 1325, which plays into last season with the different levels of Coruscant and the canceled 1313 game. Uh, the taxi driver that takes him there, uh, Jay Ingo, or Igno, is a reference to Reverend Jim Ignatowski, Christopher Lloyd's character in Taxi. Um, nice. And we even get, and I love this, this was the thing that made me go, sweet! Early on, whenever Tup is first being uh, examined, it's Kix, a previously existing character. They don't just make some kind of new clone medic or something. It's Kix that we've seen before. And here, when he shows up at the bar, not only is Kix there, right? So members of the 501st coming back at this point. So it makes sense that Anakin would also be back. But we also get Jesse. It's like they purposely made sure to, to, that if Fives is a character that is sort of a lived-in character, we have seen him before and grown with him. To have him be friends with and comrades with these other characters we've seen before and have that be the connection that's able to get him to Rex and Anakin to try to prove his case, I thought that was a very nice touch. There could have been so many other generic ways to get him there and generic clones they could have used, but they make sure to bring back ones we've seen before. That was impressive. Yeah, I really liked that they kept bringing in those characters and they kept referencing those characters and how, like, they really kept focusing on this idea of, like, brother, brotherhood. And because that's kind of a really big core aspect of these clones. Like, they don't have a lot of personality. They don't get a lot of character building. And so this idea of, like, these close-knit groups acting as like almost like a family is really all they have and the idea that they kept that and they were very respectful of that made me really happy and and same with like the way when when fives goes in is talking to kicks in the bathroom kicks doesn't just freak out he actually you know treats him like you know a family member who's acting a little bit weird but you know you're still going to trust him so i felt like they handled this (laughs) part really kind of really well yeah, he, he's Uncle Fives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always he's comes the, around to the party, he's drunk, you just want to send him home, put him in a cab, but you know. He treated him exact exactly like you would treat a brother. He was like, They said you were trying to kill the Chancellor. It's the same thing as <laughs> they said you beat up the neighbor. You know? And what Did you really do? kill that guy? What can I do <laughs> to they help you? They said you killed younglings. Oh wait! <laughs> it's, it's like the Grishas and the Socias. Like, where can we hide Pony Boy? You know, let's let's all help him out. But <laughs> I did like the involvement of of Jesse. And last time we saw Jesse, wasn't he in the Deserter arc? And so it's that's a nice callback to that. As Fives now is the Deserter. Fives, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> You know, I don't know what it is, but watching this whole season, and I'm sure we'll get into this as we go through all the different arcs, the amount of attention to detail that these episodes have and calling back to other things that we really loved about the series, things that really worked, have just been great. It just makes it 
harder to accept that this is it for Clone Wars, that Clone Wars is over. And Barrett, I know you and I were kind of chatting back and forth a little bit when these were released, that I really hope that the new series has, I don't know, even half the detail and attention and awesomeness that these episodes have. Well, you know, it's almost like Disney didn't know what they had before they canceled it. And we're looking into this new series. And if you go back to some of the early interviews that Dave Filoni did when he was the hype up to the Clone Wars being released, you know, he mentioned that he pitched a show to George Lucas, kind of what we're going to get in the Rebels cartoon about a band of misfits or whatever on a spaceship flying around getting into adventures. And that was his original pitch for the Clone Wars. And George Lucas came and said, no, 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 no. We're going to do it this way. We want Ahsoka, you know, Snips, Sky Guy, all that. So I'm kind of excited. We're kind of going to get, if it is true that Filoni is the reason, you know, and we have to give him the credit. He's the head of the Clone Wars and, and how the storytelling, and I think we can all agree how each season has just gotten better and better and better to the culmination of what we're going to get now. If his vision and he's taking what he's learned in this process and taking it there, I don't see how it's going to lose. We're going back into almost original trilogy vehicles and and looks and stuff like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm more willing to give it a shot because of that. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the set of episodes can make Jar Jar episodes good. This certainly was the high point for Clone Wars. I mean, if it wasn't for that droids arc back in Season 5, I would have trouble picking between this and Season 5 as the best that Clone Wars has to offer. But there doesn't seem to be a turd in any of the episodes in this Lost Missions Season 6 stuff, um, which does make it sad uh, that it is gone. But if we thought it went out with a bang before, it certainly is going out on a high note now. I don't know if I agree, agree with you. We'll see about if there aren't any... Any turds coming down the line, Nathan? Uh, we may have to get into it. <laughs> it wouldn't be RFRN without some Baron and Nathan arguing. <laughs> now, Nathan, this kind of brings a question, and I'm not sure I know the answer, but I'm sure you probably do. Where do these episodes fit in continuity in the timeline of the Clone Wars? Do they happen before the last Ahsoka arc, or do they happen you know, as they're released. Because I know that, especially when you consider the Clovis episode that we're going to be talking about next time, that was originally supposed to air early on in Season 5. That's right. Well, basically, uh, it's it's sort of, in other words, issues of best laid plans that have gone awry, in a sense. There are clues within the episodes that suggest that they may not be in the order as aired. Like, for instance, Kraken, the super tactical droid that we see in this arc, gets his head cut off by Anakin and then shows up again later uh, with Dooku. And as you said, the Clovis stuff was actually meant to take place back in Season 5. But, according to Leland Chi, uh, any of those types of things that happen to have been, you know, this quirks as they were working through the production process is basically tossed out the window, very much like the original order of the first few episodes of Season 1 that was used for things like lightsaber duels. You know, there was a production order, they tried to go with it, no, screw it, we're going to put it in the the order that it aired. Um, We are told now that officially uh, these episodes do all take place after the end of Season 5, and they do all take place in the order as presented. So if you got that Clone Wars episode guide by Jason Fry, you can use that to watch the other episodes in the right order, 
and then just pick up season six, just straight first episode through 13th. There's no deviation whatsoever. Well, and this arc, this episode and this arc end with essentially the death of fives, which I thought was handled very well, you know, with Rex holding him and, and, and basically begging him not to go. And all the, you know, Fox and the, the Coruscant shock troopers all removing their helmets and standing around and looking down as five passes. I, I just thought that was just handled great. What, and Jen, I, I'm sure you were, you were shedding tears watching fives go. Not literally, but I was not a happy camper. Um, I, you, I knew it was coming. There was no way, especially after the, we didn't talk about it much, but where the chancellor pulls him in, I'm going to talk to him alone here and totally skeevy. You know, he's gone, but, uh, he's just, it's very tragic the way they, they handled this. And it's, it's perfect for the story just because he had stumbled upon everything really. And, kind of could have prevented Order 66 in a way. So not only is it the death of this character that we've become really attached to, it's the kind of a harbinger to the death of the Jedi. I don't particularly, this is, this scene though was great, but the whole episode surrounding it was where I really got into that of two minds thing that I mentioned at the beginning though, because he did have this information and Shakti did talk to him and she did know he was onto some stuff and, it got really brushed under the table really quickly and in a way that felt very rushed and kind of not even remotely it, like it made the jedi look like idiots and and it made <laughs> it made the, it just looked really stupid they were like oh parasite oh okay parasite okay okay moving on and it's like no real what and so it was a very big switch from like this really emotionally packed scene and like had a lot of meaning and a lot of depth where fives is dying and, and you know, rex is holding him and it's awful and to the jedi are morons and so it was like oh it was very frustrating because i wanted to love this episode wholeheartedly and i just i couldn't but like this particular scene loved it the stuff that came right afterwards i was gnashing my teeth they should have ended it with this scene they absolutely oh, yeah. should have they should have and it was a great scene and you know i was watching it again and I was watching it with my wife, Carmela, and she doesn't know who Fives is. And when he died, she was like, oh, that's sad. You know, and she could care less about the Clone Wars. We were just watching it. And so for her to feel it like feel that way, that even cements it for me that this was such a powerful scene and how much more we feel it. when we've seen Fives basically grow up. And it was a it was sad. It was sad. We feel for the clones now. We don't see them just as killing father, as pawns. You know, they're people. Yeah, definitely kind of, it needed the last scene to at least wrap up why there would be no more investigation. But yeah, it does make them look kind of dumb in that sense. You know, here's, a, and I guess that's something that all, uh, or not all, but most of the arcs in this season do. It's, you know, oh, look, we see what's coming. You know, Anakin is domestically violent it seems to a degree oh look there's order 66 wow yoda and those visions and such and you know at some point you would figure yoda would go hmm recognize that chin i do but he doesn't but you know kind of taken as just kind of what it is i, I found it to be a very moving scene i mean we got it's it's somewhat undermined by the fact that we never really get any explanation or any more details about Nala Se's little injection that causes him to go buggy and have a hard time explaining himself. She just gives it to him at the beginning, and he's unraveling throughout, and that's it. Um, nothing is ever mentioned of it. If you were watching this and turned your head away for a second, there was no clue other than a slight hissing sound from that thing going off. 
to even understand why that would have been taking place, why he would have been unraveling. You would have probably figured that it was the inhibitor chip somehow, uh, or the lack of it that was causing him to unravel. So it's a little bit clunky to get there, uh, and it's, it's a very tidy episode in a lot of ways for the storytelling. And again, given that it's a kid's show, it's maybe some of that is forgivable. But that scene in of itself was, was pretty impactful. It was, it was a sad scene. My wife, she's not going to cry over Clone Wars unless it's Gunji that dies, I don't think. Um, she just loves Gunji. Um, but I, I actually saw this first as it was airing, streaming live out of Germany. And I couldn't understand what the heck they were saying except for, except for fives, fives from time to time. Um, and that was when it really hit me, because I didn't understand what was going on, but just the visuals of it and having him die within Rex's arms and the helmet removal of the other troopers, uh, the fact that Anakin and Rex were right there and helpless, essentially, to stop it. Because it, it, it's not, I mean, it's, it's Fox that shoots him, but in a lot of ways, it's not Fox's fault, because Fox is shooting because Fives is unhinged enough and, and is, is losing that control and lunges for one of Rex's guns. So it's it's this great kind of tragic moment and it, it's again it, it that along with things like the end of the wrong jedi uh again it shows us how far this series has come and to have this be we thought the end of domino squad made it even more impactful and then filoni had to go and burst our bubbles with his blog post on the star wars blog basically saying actually we actually plan to bring back uh, echo and here's what he would have looked like too bad the show didn't go on. The idea that Echo is alive out there does kind of put the lie to the end of Domino Squad, perhaps. Um, but it certainly felt like it when we first saw it. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining me covering this first arc. I think it's great to get the band back together. And I always enjoy talking Clone Wars with you guys. Why don't we share our final thoughts on this episode? And we will see everybody next time. Barrett, why don't you give us yours first? Great episode. Everything was brilliant. <laughs> you know, some things dragged on a little bit. You know, Jerry had mentioned how we had a scene or there, a scene here or there that we really didn't need because it didn't really advance the story at all. It didn't advance the arc at all. It was kind of in there for filler. But I mean, how can you really complain? You know, we got something that was brilliant. We, you know, tug at our hearts. We got action. We got Sidious, we got Sith, we got Jedi, we got everything in this arc. And conclusions to kind of stories that were open and left out there, As and even we got new Jedi. I, I don't understand, I don't see how anybody could be disappointed with, with what we have here overall if you take it in, in an arc. And I just cannot wait to see what's coming up next, you know? I don't, I can't wait to see what they're going to do next, because I think that the next uh, arc... Uh, will do justice to my Senate spy and my Senate spy will get the accolades that it should have gotten in the first place. Well, let's see if anybody else could have issue with this arc. Jen, why don't you give us your final thoughts? <laughs> in some ways, I really, really liked this arc. And in some ways, I find it very frustrating because of all the questions it raises. And, and because of, I feel like in some ways, a little bit, it has now given us a device for solving some questions with Rex and knowing that we will probably not get those answers is really infuriating to me. I really was kind of almost hoping that this would go in a on a path where it kind of would lead to some of the clones being able to remove their chip and possibly go AWOL, in a sense, and, and remove themselves from the war and everything. But obviously that doesn't happen. But I feel like this has really big implications for, for Rex, who we, we know is not in Revenge of the Sith. And I'm 
dying to know what happens to him. And I'm frustrated that I don't know that we'll ever get that answer. But as far as the actual arc, they had I really enjoyed getting to see some of this stuff explained a little bit more because I did have those questions. I liked in some ways that this chip was a device for explaining why some of these characters do what they do in Revenge of the Sith. I don't know if I would have done it that way myself, but I like that they actually bothered to tell us this story. I, As I said before, I'm frustrated with how they treated the Jedi, especially since Shakti had been so even-handed and so authoritative in the first couple of episodes and then just kind of loses her spine altogether and kowtows to whatever Palpatine says, which really irritated me, but... It's got to tell a story they can't find out, so I'll, I'll let them have it. Um, overall, I thought it was fun. It's, it was a great start to this extra little half season that we get, and I'm looking forward to the rest. Jerry? Yeah, yeah I have to basically agree with uh, Jen Barron. I mean, overall, these are good episodes, very good episodes. I mean, it's certainly a, you know, you watch these first four, and you think, hey, this season six thing is going to be pretty good. I mean, this is uh, it's really setting the, the, the tone. Nathan? You know, I think this was uh, some great storytelling. I mean, it had its pitfalls here and there. Um, but for clone-centered episodes, I would put it just a slight, slight notch below the uh, Carnage of Krill and such arc, the Umbara arc, as far as those go. I like the fact that they start to give us an explanation for something that has been so nebulous in the past, and yet still, I think, at least the way I perceive it, uh, leave enough open that it didn't seem to trample over a lot of pre-existing stuff. I think that's one thing that people were fearing, at least continuity fans like me have been fearing about season six, was they talked about it being so big that there'd be so much stuff that would hit EU issues that, well, maybe it was going to cause people uh, who are EU fans to grumble more than enjoy. And at least for me, in this case, it didn't do that. I would say that this, really the entire season at this point, if you don't have a Netflix account, I mean, you can have Netflix on your PC, on a PlayStation 3, on a Wii on a Vita, et cetera, et cetera. You can have it on so many different things. You really ought to do it, if nothing else, then for this. You know, get it for a month. It costs less than 10 bucks. Stream all these episodes and be done with it. But you really owe it to yourself to see these episodes. And at this point, there is no announced plan, though surely there will be one, to put these on home video at some point. For Star Wars fans, this should be like Game of Thrones. I will subscribe in order to see this because uh, it is a terrific season that we're getting and it starts off very, very well. And I'm going to echo what everybody else is saying. I actually see this as sort of a love letter to clone fans. I think it was a tremendous clone-centric arc. I think it gave us... Some of the answers we were looking for, not all of them, which, as we've said, is probably the better decision, because anytime you put anything in concrete, it's going to mess up something. This seemed to really walk that fine line and do it well. I enjoyed most things about it. I enjoyed that they brought back some old friends, such as Jesse and Admiral Trench and even Yalaren. I I really think that... This was well worth the wait. But next time, we're going to be discussing the next three episodes in Season 6, An Old Friend, The Rise of Clovis, and Crisis at the Heart, which brings back Rush Clovis from way back in Season 2. And if you can't get enough of us talking about Clone Wars, Nathan, Jen, Barrent, and I, as well as some 
old and new friends are going to be starting something different come this fall with the coverage of Star Wars Rebels. And Nathan, why don't you tell our listening audience a little about that? That's right. We're doing essentially a a creative team merger in some respects. Uh, You may know Mark Herleman from Star Wars Beyond the Films that he and I host together over at StarWarsReport.com. And as part of that podcasting family over there, they call it the second airborne division of StarWarsReport.com. We are launching Rebels Roundtable. It will be most of the folks uh, you hear here. In fact, everybody on this call, except for Jerry, because Jerry has better things to do than to hang with us again, man. Uh, Dan will be back. Uh, Mark will be jumping over, as I said. So we're going to wind up with sort of this uh, slightly reshuffled team to cover Rebels in a Republic Forces Radio Network type of format. And in fact, you can get in on this fairly early at this point. If you want to get in on it from a social media perspective, uh, you have Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. But you can also go to StarWarsReport.com and as of the time this episode airs or shortly thereafter, you will see a link to be able to subscribe to a podcast feed for Rebels Roundtable. Now that show has not premiered yet, but you'll be able to get these episodes either from that feed or of course the Republic Forces Radio Network feed as it exists right now. But exclusive to the Rebels Roundtable feed will be a series of short little interviews with different members of the panel, essentially asking what got them into Star Wars, uh, how their Star Wars fandom is usually expressed, whether it's collecting, reading, whatever, their general thoughts on the Clone Wars now having seen season three, looking back on the whole thing, what it did wrong, what it did right, and more importantly, what they hope and expect to see from Rebels to give us sort of a launching point before we finally get to see that Rebels premiere Uh, on Disney Channel later in 2014. So it'll be an exciting time. And like I said, you can get in on it uh, a bit early. Uh, If you go ahead and check those out, you'll be able to get those exclusive interview files from StarWarsReport.com. Well, that being said, I want to thank my co-hosts this evening, Jerry, Nathan, Berndt, and Jen, for talking this first arc. And I will see you guys next time. See you guys. See you next time for Rush Clovis coming back. Oh, boy. Ooh, nothing like some domestic violence. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Republic Forces Radio Network. You can find our reviews of previous Clone Wars episodes, as well as reviews of the Clone Wars micro-series, the classic Droids and Ewok series, and the theatrical Clone Wars movie in our archive section at www.republicforces.com. And be sure to listen to our other Star Wars podcast, Star Wars Action News, covering all aspects of Star Wars collecting, from figures to high-end collectibles. Star Wars Action News is at SWActionNews.com. Republic Forces Radio Network is hosted by Jonathan, Jerry, Nathan, Dan, Jen, Arnie, and Barrett. Republic Forces Radio Network, RepublicForces.com, and Star Wars Action News are not affiliated with Lucasfilm or any official Star Wars-related company. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains are copyright and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media, Incorporated. Republic Forces Radio Network is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media, Incorporated.
Baron, I like the rock and roll reference, man. It does feel like, you know, few bands can get all the original members back together for their farewell tour, and we've done it. Does this mean we're well, old and busted? Well, Dan, and, well, well, he just had more things that... Oh, but he might be. I mean, hey, we got more shows. He could still be back around. But we didn't We didn't have to bring in, like, a 20-year-old bass player to fill in for the, you know, for the guy that OD'd. Well, uh, <laughs> Arnie did say that there's no way he's coming back to Clone Wars. <laughs> Oh, is he is he the contract holdout because of like royalty disputes? You know? Yeah, something that happens, man. There's always one. Yeah, that's going in outtakes. Anyway, broken-hearted <laughs> over the loss of Ahsoka. Uh. Hello. Hello. Anybody there? We're still here. Baron. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, good. I'm not exactly what's malfunctioning on my side here. It's your inhibitor chip. I was gonna say, is it a tumor? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a tumor. Your, your computer has a tumor. I will see you guys next time. See you guys. See you next time for Rush Clovis coming back. Oh boy. Ooh, nothing like some domestic violence. Bring on cops. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? They're in the home and he's beating him up. He's beating up the other man. I think that's did domestic say, violence. Did you say bring on the cocks? That's what I thought no, cops! Like the show! <laughs> <laughs> that was what you better do! It really didn't sound No, like... I said cops! Good lord! Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> well, I guess part of that's going to have to be cut for the outtakes. <laughs> C-O-P-S hey, who's not going to listen to the credits of this show to hear about Rebels they always always come to our outtakes I know oh, Yeah. you know I still get emails about the Leaf Queen <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I had my mom back Oh my god, those were some of the bad. I mean, screw the shows, the outtakes on those episodes. Hey, the I mean the the classic outtakes for RFRN was the ones Dan did for the uh, Tartakovsky Clone Wars. I mean, they oh would go they go 15 20 minutes <laughs> yeah, long. So long. Episode itself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>